Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. But tragedy sort of struck our family earlier in, in that year and that my brother died. And we're coming to the back street and I do a Jamie Balsh to Jamie Balsh. And so I've missed the Olympics essentially by a hundredth of a second and some politics because that wasn't meant to be um, some sort of race off. Welcome to Athletics Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Today I'm joined by a member of the engine room at British men's 4x400m relay teams, Jared Deacon. He collected European and Commonwealth golds as well as world and world indoor medals. Now coaching and with athletics running through the family DNA, he is indelibly connected to the sport. Jared, it's good to see you. Good to see you too. Engine room. I wondered what my intro might be. Engine room's a good one. I like that. <laughs> definitely, definitely the engine room. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you live in Scotland now, but you are you're a are you a Geordie? Is it fair to call you a Geordie with from the northeast? Yeah, officially a sand dancer from South Shields, but um, yeah, more more Geordie accent. Although I do support Sunland. <laughs> okay, I see. Uh, so that's where you grew up then. Yeah, and it's it's quite a big family you grew up in, wasn't it? It is, yeah. I am one of eight children, second youngest of, of eight. Um, my mum, who's just turned 85 this year, has 36 grandchildren and 37 great-grandchildren. So, yes, it's, it's a big family um, and pretty sporty throughout it, yeah. Yeah, it's good. And you said your dad was a sprinter, wasn't he? Yeah, so in the 1950s and 60s, my dad was a, was a sprinter. My mum was a little bit more of a swimmer at school. She won county cups for swimming. Um, but as we grew up, my dad was still was still competing and, and, and doing athletics and actively involved in athletics. And it was na- a bit more natural uh, going in that direction. So he won various bits and pieces, although uh, at that time it was a lot more sort of handicap races and there wasn't as many scratch races. Uh, the best he did off scratch was a 9.900 yards on, on grass. And he often ran in, in bare feet as well to do that. Uh, there is some footage of him somewhere running at the Highland Games at Murrayfield from some back in the 1950s, which is shown on the, on the BBC, which we'd love to get our hands on at some point if we ever could delve into yeah. those archives. But yeah. Wow. Um, so he's also a policeman, uh, did British police championships and that sort of thing as well. 
Right. Good. Okay. So, so, so it's there then. So did, was it was just a natural progression for you to, you guys to all go into athletics. Yeah. So out of the four children, uh, eight children, there was four girls, then four boys. Uh, and that's the order that, that they arrived in. And the middle two are twins, but the girls still arrived first. So there's, there's quite a sort of staged process right. with that. And okay, um, okay. my oldest brother, Dave, uh, who was my coach for a long time, uh, I shared a room with him. And then the two other brothers, they, they shared a room. So there's always competition between me and Dave and Stu and John. And so with that, as Dave was 11 years older than me, and as I'm coming up through primary school, you know, he's into, well, late teens and early 20s, and he's already training. He's training regularly with Steve Cram, David Sharp at Jarrow in Heaven, AC, um, and Stuart getting more into 800s as well. That's, that's the sort of direction our, our family was. It was less about football. I played a bit of rugby and stuff at school. But athletics seemed to be the thing, and it was always talked about about Jared's brother as one, you know, trying to make the Olympics and stuff because he was a competitive athlete at that time. Um, but yeah, all of us um, competitive in in one way or another, mainly during the school years for the sisters, and a little bit more beyond that for for the brothers, uh, whether it be athletics or athletics, and a bit of rugby with my younger brother as well. Right. Okay. Okay. So you'd be you'd be on the track at the same time as Steve Cram <coughs> and the and the like. Then did did your careers ever just cross over at all? Uh, not as a competitive career, but uh, training-wise, I started off being 12, 13-year-old, being at the track. The track was somewhere I was, I was just used to being at. Um, I can't ever remember not being around a track, whether it be Gypsies Green Stadium uh, in South Shields, but mainly at Jaron Hebben and then Gated later on. And so Cramie was always around, and I must have asked his autograph like every week as a 12-year-old. Like He must have got <laughs> sick of us. Because um, it was at the time he was running really well. He was setting the world records and stuff, and he was, he was the big name. And I remember... My headmistress at school at one of the um, one of the assemblies had talked about uh, driving home that night and seeing this runner and it was Steve Cram and everyone's like oh wow well. and I'm like my brother trains with Steve Cram and I've, I've met him before <laughs> oh right have you so it was the northeast has got a big athletics history primarily in distance running um, mainly but um, just being around Steve Cram David Sharp was another guy around like 147 Dave Slipper uh, a few of the middle distance runners around at that time had a, had a really good group around Jimmy Headley at Jarrow at the time and so I was just familiar with them I did one or two training sessions with with Steve Cram just hanging off the back doing some bits and pieces um, but I was never part of that group or anything I was just too young for that yeah yeah I'm much more of a sprinter I guess as well so yeah, just finding my yeah. way at that point in time. I didn't really know the difference between doing stuff. It was just going down the track, putting spikes on and, and, and doing some running at that point in time until it sort of developed a little bit more. Um, and my brother saw a bit of potential in what I was doing and, and decided to, well, both decided to, to knuckle down and, and try and do something about it. Mm-hmm. So you developed, you developed then, you, you developed obviously a talent, weren't you? You were getting to English schools and three A's and the rest. You obviously had something there. Yeah, I had a bit of something there. It mainly, it, it started more like that, the county championships. And I always wanted to be the 100 metre runner. Uh, my PE teacher had got me to run the first 400 that I'd ever done and decided to put me in for like the school sports for it. I didn't particularly like it at the time because I wanted to be the 100 metre man and wanted to be the quickest. But he could see that was probably something a bit more around the 400 and I'd run quicker than the other guys at school. So I went in this race, I think I was 12. Uh, the other guys were like 13. I was like a year young in the age group at school and came second in this race and that was my first taste of, of real like lactic type feeling i remember trying to pick up my top off the floor and i, I couldn't grasp my top uh, fine motor skills have just evaded me at that point and i'm looking at, my, at the teacher and i'm looking at the top on the floor and a bit confused as to what's going on but that wasn't the last time i would, I would have that type of feeling in my career um but english schools wise 
it was I never made a final. Um, I ran the 200 one year, got to the semis, ran the 400 the next, got the semis. Didn't really make anything of it until I went to the three years under 17s and ran a PB in the heat, ran pretty well in the heat, but came dead last in the final. I couldn't run two 400s in a day. I didn't have that um, that that in me at that time. But there was only me and one other athlete, Mark Hilton, out of those athletes. Mark Hilton finished sixth. Uh, that went on to be senior internationals. So yeah. we were, you know, we off the well, I was certainly way off the pace for that final. Um, but you know, sticking around in the sport goes a long way. Just just having some longevity will, will get you somewhere because other people do tend to drop out who are talents maybe when they're young and for whatever reason just don't carry on. And if you can stay your ground, you might get somewhere. Good, good stuff, good stuff. And you did actually eventually got to got to the World Juniors. That was your first uh, international or big international, wasn't it? Yeah. So I'd run at the um, there was a meeting against Germany, Poland, and Russia. I think earlier mm-hmm. in the year, and uh, I'd done that meeting, and then gone to the world juniors in the four by four uh ran in the heats there didn't, didn't get the selected for the run in the final but that was my first like international uh, championships in, in 1994 in portugal okay okay and you got a bronze there from running in the heats here yeah? in the relay yeah. heats yeah 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 so again that was both those relays that i ran that year um were on first leg so my first international was first leg of a relay and i guess that was the story of my career in terms of uh, relay running uh, I never really ran much in terms of, of other legs. There's only two actual international relays I can remember running on a leg that wasn't first leg. OK, and then uh, you're, you're a student at this time. So where, where were you studying? So I was doing my undergrad in um, sports science at Sunderland. I decided to stay at okay. home as my, my brother was my coach um, and I had a good training group there. So I stayed local. And so throughout my athletics my university career i went to three world university games so the first one was in japan in fukuoka in 1995 which is still the fastest i've ever run a 400 meter leg um i ran on second leg there and ran a 44 7 relay split at the age of 19. i've run 46 4 in the individual was one place off making the final and that was my fifth 400 in four days uh, to to do that final and got a bronze medal out of that. So David Grindley was in that team, uh, Gary Jennings and Tony Williams. So two four hurdlers and two four flat runners. We literally had no one else. If any of us had gone down, there was no relay. And mm. we, we had no, no, the, the World Universities is a funny one because you don't really know the standard going in. So I had no real aspirations of where we could finish. It was just run hard and see what we could do and and manage to get a bronze out of it. And still the nicest medal that, that I've ever won. It's a really nice shaped medal with the... Uh, <laughs> It's like, like a comma sort of shape, like yin and yang type shape. Um, okay. Really nicely presented and stuff. It's lovely. What's, I, I've got to confess, I've never actually been to a, a university yard. What's the um, what's the vibe there? And what and what and how much of a preparation is it for going on to you know the big multi-sport events like Commonwealth Games and Olympics? It's it's the most enjoyable championships I've been to for pure enjoyment because yeah. most of the people on there are around about your age, they're your, your peers. Um, True. Yeah. There's a good a bit of fun to it as well. And the venues that we had for the three that I went to were, were really good. So Fukuoka was a great trip, trip away to Japan, total different culture, ran everything really well. Uh, even like the kit sponsorship stuff was really good. We even got spikes off the off the kit sponsor ASICs. And then 97 was in Sicily. And so we had a holding camp in just near Rome in Fomia, which was really good fun. And then we went to uh, Mallorca in Parma in 1999. Nice. And so we stayed in Parma Nova, which is just over the hill from Magaluf. 3,000 students or however many thousands it was <laughs> descending there in the middle of summer. A lot of the I get the picture, stuff, I get the picture, yeah, I get the picture. <laughs> well, a lot of the bars and stuff weren't that happy because we weren't out doing what 
tourists would normally do until after the games but um yeah again just good fun and that was one of the few times that because i'm in the four by four and we're the last event so you tend to finish and then you leave early the next morning there's very little sort of downtime for you whereas this one whether it was by design or default i don't know but there was one day clear and then we got flights home so basically had one day holiday in mallorca in july went on the banana boat got ice creams and all the rest of it it was it was really good fun for one day holiday right okay okay yeah i bet it was a good laugh that yeah so that's that's the student living isn't it you deserve it yeah yeah, yeah definitely creeped <laughs> over into it but not in a negative way it didn't take away from the performances but it was yeah. just a good fun chance because you had all your mates there with you yeah yeah good good stuff good um in terms of your, your senior career um i guess atlanta olympics might have come a bit early for you in your in your development but um it was a heck of a time that wasn't it for uk 400 meter running i mean that's that's even that 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 trial for the atlanta games even now is uh would it be fair to call it the the the, the highest standard trial of any event at british trials in history i mean it's right up there Quite isn't it probably you yeah know, the roger black ones. ewan thomas richardson yeah. the day joe bulch yeah Oof, it was um, deep it, wasn't it it was it was huge and that was like the golden era of 400 meter running in in this country because 95 actually hadn't been that good uh roger black had been a bit injured the mm. team hadn't won a medal at the world's as a university relay team going at that university had we'd run faster than what the gb team had at the world championships in that final right. and going into 96 i was reasonably confident of making an olympic team based on the times i'd been doing the progression that i'd made and so in that uh, championships if i'd been in the other semi-final i would have made this the, the final based on on times but i ran a pb at, at that point in time 46.08 which i think michael bingham may have equaled as the fastest time to not make a final ever um so i still hold that joint record i guess uh, fastest time to not make a final it would have won me bronze medal i think the year before didn't make a final this time round. so I thought I had a good chance of making it, but then the standard just just rose right up. And for me, it's one of those things where you're like, did I run a bit faster because the standard was so high and everyone around me was running really quick? Would I have been as quick if the standard wasn't wasn't as good? Mm. Um, and you know, to run 45.5 as a PB is decent. It's an international level. It's not a you know world class level. 45, 44 something, sub 45 would have taken it to to world class level, and that's the sort of time you'd need to make much more individuals be pushing for medals uh, make individual finals and that sort of thing so yeah it was decent international level um but the, the standard was just so high in britain at the time and roger black being like my idol growing up as a 400 meter runner i had posters and stuff of him as well as a young teenager and stuff and then uh, fortunate after running his last ever race in 1998 uh, which is really good privilege for me to be in the same race as him uh, is he last ever one so good memories of being around all of those guys when you look at the the all-time list for gb how many of them were done in sort of the late 90s early 2000s yeah yeah it's quality that was yeah yeah um so you didn't make that those olympics obviously but um but a couple of years later you did get to the commonwealth games yeah um, so 98 commonwealth in malaysia um yeah. made, made the relay team there still quite young um managed to get a run a bit of politics as always and you know people on the podcast have hinted at um, different mm. levels of politics that had gone on uh, it was basically a race off in the heats for who would make it into the final run okay. um, I ran a, a good race in the heats and the the guy who was the team coach at the time he just did it off his watch and so I was a couple of tenths slower on his watch than one of the other athletes who got a run in the final but on the official times when they came out however long later um, 
not the pre days of pre-internet really um I, i'd actually run faster than him and sort of mm-hmm. should have gone in there by right but that was one of those things still still on the learning curve and i felt you know as part of my career i was on the outskirts on a lot of those sort of things maybe getting a run in the heat but not the final um until sort of getting towards 2000 2002 where i was a bit more of a mainstay for those couple of years yeah you did get, you got your first world champs in the year after but it's still still in the heats wasn't it yeah so um the relay running the relay we didn't actually make the final that year um okay. Bosch wasn't running so good thomas wasn't running so run at all i don't think um can't actually remember who else was in that really maybe jeff dearman it, it was just it wasn't a great year at that point in time um but on a personal level it, i ran actually pretty good that year um but tragedy sort of struck our family earlier in, in that year and that my brother died in the january at 29 oh, years dear. old so it was the brother between me and dave so dave was my okay. coach and his brother between us stuart um he had gone out to america uh, on a on a scholarship for 800 meters to rick's college in idaho uh, he'd met a girl over there they'd come back here lived for a bit and then they were moving back over to there and he got diagnosed with a uh, non-hodgkin's lymphoma came back for his treatment over here and he started that treatment like the september sort of time in 98 and uh, in january 99 he, he, he died leaving three young kids um so that year I, i'd ran with a I didn't wear like a black armband or something, but I just wanted something to represent him. And I had a sort of badge, which on some of the photos from that year, from the relays and stuff, and I can see on there. Um, so that sort of links before I go on to to Olympics. So I ran that World Championships then, but a few years beforehand, we'd run um, a brothers relay, which we're really glad that we did that at the time. So in '96, um, myself and my three brothers did a four by one and a four by four at the county championships. But because we ran for different clubs at the time, we couldn't. We couldn't win the championships effectively. We couldn't get a medal. Okay. Um, so it was like a guest team in it. So we ran the four by one, won that, ran 43.7, which is pretty good because we averaged under 11 each. That was the aim. Uh, and then four by four, four by one would run in more of a tactical order, but the four by four, we went in age order from youngest to oldest. And okay. we, we ran away with that as well. And we ran 318.9. So it was an average of sub 50 um, on, on each leg, which, okay. which is really good. And we've got a video of that we've got on, on YouTube. And um, it's one of those things that we were so glad we did it at that point in time because we, we never got a chance to, to do it again when either we were all fit or all here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was a really special one for, for us. Oh, it must have been a great one for your, your parents to see that. Were your parents there as well mm. to see that? Yeah, whole family was out uh, yeah. watching that. It, yeah, really well supported because um, we sort of build it as that. And the commentator even as well mentioning, you know, a challenge can go out to families around the world to to see if they can beat them. And uh, we we mentioned it and, and asked sort of Guinness Book of World Records sort of thing. And, the, and they weren't really interested because it was more of a 4x4 is a 4x4. Like whether your brothers or not didn't really, there wasn't a, a record as such set in that right. way. So okay. we may hold an unofficial world record for all we know. If it's difficult to think of a faster family, there's only a faster family of four I mean, brothers. Yeah. The, the boys could have the three brothers and a sister. Yeah. They could definitely <laughs> go for that and, true, and probably beat true. that. Um, but maybe their time's past now as well. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, so, you, But you did get to the Olympics. You are an Olympian, aren't you? You got to Sydney. Yes. Um, which must have been a great feeling to get there. Yeah, so I finished fourth at the trials, literally just a foot behind, uh, like third place. And uh, I think it was Daniel Keynes who'd got third and he eventually got the individual run. Um, you, uh, Mark Richardson missed out. He was under a, a, a complicated drug suspension at the time, so so he didn't get to go. Mm-hmm. There's all the, the Nandrolone stuff going on at that time. Um, but I wasn't picked in the first wave, even though I finished fourth at the trials and pretty much every other time someone's been in that position. And the person ahead of him isn't actually taking part in the in the mm. in the games, so effectively finishing third of, of the Brits who were eligible to go. Um, you know, didn't get picked in that first wave for whatever reason. So there was a period of like real uncertainty uh, before I got the call that I was actually actually going to go. Um, I'd run well that year. I'd run a couple of PBs, uh, one in particular um, out in Dublin. Um, we'd had a an England match against Ireland and, and a couple of others. And I was actually put in the, in the B race in lane eight. And I said to the team manager, I'm like, like I've run faster than a guy called Jeff Diamond, who had, had been put in the area. So I've run faster than Jeff this year. I, I should be in the, in the area. So like, and Jeff was quite pleased with being in the area. And um, the team manager, was like, yeah, clearly we, we need to swap that over. So we swapped it over. Uh, both of us had lane eight. So the lane didn't make a difference. So he goes off in the B race and wins the B race clearly, runs 45-8, faster than my PB, Olympic qualifying time. Mm. And I'm stood there thinking, like, right, I've got to, I've got to prove now that this decision was right to put me in the in the area. So he's really mm. gone and put the cat amongst the pigeons, like for for that uh, for that moment. And it was one of the few times, like, I can think of in my career where I'm stood there thinking, I have to run a PB here. I don't have a choice. Uh, I I have got to go out and and absolutely lay this down. So I remember going off. And uh, with South Africa, and a couple of lanes inside, and he came alongside uh, around about 150, 160 into the race. And I just put my foot down and just went for it. I remember passing the girls who I won for the 200 at the 200 start and thinking as I went past them, I'm absolutely flat out here. Like, um, and just kept going around the bend. And it literally, the last 40 meters was eyes shut, just trying to get to the finish. And the South African was trying to run a time as well, because even if they'd ran one in the January time, they still had to repeat it in the summer to make their games. So I think he ran 45, two or three, and I'm down at the line, ran a 45, uh, 69. And so it moved me right up in terms of the rankings, ran an Olympic qualifying time. Um, and that was really good for, I think it was two or three weeks later, going in, going into the trials. And uh, unfortunately for Jeff, he ran a British league in the meantime, ran a four by four, kicked hard down the back straight, pulled his hamstring, and it, that was over for him. So um yeah definitely unfortunate on that side but for me it was one of those summers just stepping through running well mm-hmm. most occasions want the trials running running pretty well there um and then obviously getting picked and going out to to the holding camp in brisbane and then getting to run in the games themselves fantastic fantastic uh, and a great olympics to be part of as well it was, it was huge interest there wasn't a huge crowds was it was yeah. it a, a pa- packed crowd when you got to step on the track yeah, every single round. Uh, so the heats were on like a late morning lunchtime and then the semi-finals were later that night because it was three rounds at that time. 
And then the finals late on the following night. We're talking about quarter to 11 at night. I've never raced so late in my life. Mm. Um, but the, the heats, 111, 112,000 people in the stadium. Brits get a really good reception as well. And I'm on first leg. So, you know, when the team's announced, it's sort of me receiving the, the cheer, which was great. And it was that moment that I realised that I was running in the Olympics. I, I wasn't nervous for the, the semi or the final particularly. I remember Dean Macy asking me, do you ever get nervous uh, after the <laughs> final? And I was like, yeah. I says, but so, you know, you hold it in. So he says, when the camera's on you beforehand, you just look like you stood at a bus stop waiting to waiting to go. <laughs> uh, but the heats was where I was quite, um, quite nervous because I thought if I false start here or if I pull up injured or if we drop the baton, my Olympic experience is going to not be a great one. Um, but once I pass the baton over to Daniel Keynes and he goes off, if that's done cleanly, I can forevermore say I'm, a, I'm an Olympian. And whatever happens, I've run at the Olympics. So I'm sit, sitting on my block marker waiting to go. And being the Olympics, you'd think it would run on time. Uh, but we'll run a bit behind time. And no one was really saying what was happening or anything like that. And there was a couple of things going on. So the first bit I'll tell you was I glanced over at the 200 metre mark. And that's where the Olympic flag was, was up. And it was quite a windy day. And the Olympic flag's wafting in the wind. And it was that moment that hit me that I was running at the Olympics. Because in my mind's eye, for the briefest moments, if you've watched Chariots of Fire as many times as I have, there's a bit in Chariots of Fire where they're doing the opening ceremony and they're saying the Olympic oath. And there's a, the camera shot of the uh, the Olympic flag, which is being held by people in the infield. And you can hear the material getting wafted in the wind. And in my mind's eye, for the briefest of moments, that's that's what I heard as I looked at that <laughs> Olympic flag. And that it, it was like a bit of a like tip the wind out of me slightly. I was sitting there like, yeah, I'm actually about to run in the Olympics. But then the, the stadium announcer says, oh, the next person to enter the stadium is, um, can't remember the guy's name, a walker, might have been Andy Drake. And uh, he'd had a bit of a nightmare out on the 50k walk. And so they were waiting for him to come back in and finish his walk before the, the relays went off. So that's why there was a delay. And so he comes into the stadium, comes down the home straight and got the biggest cheer and so that was one of the things that um, you felt the crowd then, you really knew, because it was just a bit of a buzz, people sort of waiting for what was going to happen next. And they cheered him right down the street and they played uh, Proclaimers 500 miles as they came in. And now all the crowd are clapping <laughs> with 500 miles. He crosses the line, they, they shoo him off and it's like right yeah. onto the relays. So it really buzzed up the atmosphere and uh, yeah. the heats just before uh, that. Great job by the DJ, by the way, because the, yeah. the Aussies love that song as well. They absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> Yeah, really right. good moment. So we yeah, ran the heats, we ran the semi-final, made it through to the final. We finished sixth in the final. If if Ewan, Thomas and Jimmy Balsh had maybe been on the form of 1998, mm. uh, with Daniel Keynes running well, I was running well, we would have definitely been pushing in, in a medal position. Um, I ran a, a good first leg. I think it was the fourth fastest ever first leg for a GB athlete at the time, uh, 45.6, so equal my my individual PB. Um, and subsequently, I think... We've definitely been moved up to fifth due to drug disqualifications. Might even be fourth. I couldn't be sure on, on official channels, but definitely been moved up at least one place. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, what was your, what was your re- relationship like with the rest of the guys there? Because you are you're, you're rivals essentially, aren't you, with uh, Jamie and Ewan and Sean yeah. Baldock and Daniel? Did you have a good relationship, or did you just have yeah. to get your heads together when it came down to it? Well, once the 400 is over, you then do concentrate on the 4x4 and you try and make as much a team event as possible. So we all ate together, got on the same bus, mm, you know, warmed up together and that sort of stuff. So that was all good once that was out the way. Um, it wasn't on every championship's hunky-dory, but in the main, we, we did all get on. And 
over the course of my career, there was only a couple of the guys around me that I didn't beat at some point or other. I managed to beat Dwayne Ledejo in a race. I managed to beat Ewan in a race. I managed to beat Jamie in a race. Didn't manage to beat Roger Black. And I don't think I beat Mark Richardson. But most of the rest of those guys, at some point, if I was on a bit of an up and they weren't quite there, I, I, I did beat them at some point. But people like Ewan, Jamie, still in touch with a little bit. Sean, definitely in touch with quite a bit. Chris Rawlinson, um, all all pretty good mates on the team. Um, I used to room with Anthony Borsamato quite a bit. Being a similar event in four hurdles, um, mm. you know, you sort of try to room with people who've got an understanding of what what you're doing, but mainly aren't direct rivals with you as well. Uh, but yeah, good good bunch of lads, and we've been to world students and stuff together as well. Um, mm. With certainly with Sean um, and with with Chris, uh, being a couple of world students, so good friends out and around the track as well. Mm-hmm. And, and are you a fan of the sport as well? Did you, I mean, did you go and watch the you know the big the big moments of the Olympics? Did you go and watch Kathy Freeman? Did you go and watch Denise Lewis win? Jonathan Edwards? Yeah. Did you, were you there for those moments? So they brought us down a few days beforehand, and so I got one day of a bit of tourism around Sydney. Went to the Harbour Bridge, went to Opera House, um, up the um, Telecom Tower, and that sort of thing. And then that night. Uh, went into the stadium and that was the only night of athletics that was able to watch in the stadium and that was Kathy Freeman I think it was also I'd have to look on the official timetable but mm. Jonathan Edwards that night um, might have been Kelly Holmes and Michael Johnson uh, so it's quite a bit it's not like now where the timetable seems really spread out and you get one or two mm. maybe events where you go uh, big events at night it was a bit of a head it was like the night of, of athletics so yeah, fortunate yeah. to sit in that athlete section was just around the first bend so you got got a pretty good view close to the track um but that was the only night i got to actually sit in there and see it as a spectator great though great great experience that itself as well though hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus good uh but were you injured the next year it didn't seem much yeah so the next year 2001 i tended to sort of yo-yo for the last few years so 2001 um i knew going into the season i wasn't in quite the same shape as i had been the year before couldn't actually put my finger on exactly why but then i was doing a training session in early may and it was on grass and we were running quite fast and it wasn't quite a pothole but a bit of a divot in the grass and i landed and my leg was too straight as it hit the floor because it was it was lower than where it should have been about two inches lower and so it jammed up into my pelvis which i didn't think much of at the time i just knew it was a bit uncomfortable ran at the Loughborough International a few days later and my hamstring went at that point and so I was sort of continually sort of rehabbing and trying to get back into races during that time I see a chiropractor pretty much from that point onwards for the rest of my career to just keep things in alignment and try and keep things um, steady as, as they should be around, around the pelvis especially when I started doing a bit of hurdling that, that tended to, to niggle that as well um, so that season was it was just a poor season. It was just a very flat season. Um, I knew, mm. so like I say, I wasn't in great shape coming into it. But then that happened, and it was just, you know, trying to, to claw back anything that I could. Ended up going to, you know, missing out on the Worlds in Edmonton that that year. And so it was the first time for a few years I hadn't made a, made a championship. So that was, yeah, pretty disappointing year. Okay, but a big year next year, the Commonwealth Games in Manchester in the, in the north. Uh, and you got to the individual there, semi-final. Yeah, yeah um, so... 
Cornwall's been in the north of England, um, mm. you know, so as close to home as I, I could probably get. I was running for Border Harriers at the time as well, so Carlisle Bay, so it wasn't far from from there. Um, and I decided at the end of 2001, because I was going to be 26 that, that following year, going into 27, and I said, right, if I, if I don't run well this year, then that's it. I'll, I'll, I've obviously done what I can in the, in the sport. I'll give it one more chance. And my coach at the time, Terry Lomax, a, a New Zealand guy, uh, who was working for UK Athletics had, uh, had said it was like that's that's fine like have that but don't constantly be thinking of that don't be letting that be some sort of hangover on you yeah it could be a driver for you but don't don't let it be something like oh yeah if I don't do one well I'll, I'll just retire um, so yeah put that in the back of my mind and just got my head down and worked really hard uh, his program was was really tough uh, very exact very intense and I just got a bit between my teeth from the very beginning and had very little issue um, throughout that year. Uh, coming to a fit, knew I was fit when I ran out home of the training. I ran, you know, a classic session for 400 meter runners would be three 300s off 20 to 25 minutes. And I was running quick times off that. Um, first race out, ran a 46.3 for county championships record and basically got faster every race. Ran 46.3, 46.1, 45.9, 45.8 to 45.5 over those first few races towards the Commonwealth Trials which were in the in the Commonwealth Stadium, which is still the best track I've ever run on. If you ask anyone who ran on that track at Manchester, unbelievable. It was almost like it was slightly downhill the whole way. Um, <laughs> it was it was great. And where they'd built the temporary stand at the on the top bend, yeah. there was like a bit of a gap between that stand and the the more permanent stand. And if you got the breeze right coming in, that top bend was it just yeah. helped you around that bend. And yeah. that's where you really want to put that push in the 400 as well. Uh, and so it, it just felt really good to run on. You felt like you got a lot back from that that Mondo surface. But that is that is one slight regret is the Commonwealth Trials. I was in good shape, ran the semi-final, so it was just semi-final to final, and I ran 45-8 in the heat, uh, or semi-final, and basically just jogged over the line. If someone had shouted to me with 80 metres to go, you're on for a good one, just keep the pace, right. I think I would have run what would be my all-time PB of around about 45-2. Um, come to the final, you know, you're a little bit sore the next day and um, maybe not, not everything's as perfect weather-wise or what have you, and uh, go for it and run a 45-5, which has ended up my, my career PB. But I feel I just had a, a couple of tenths more there. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, but an epic um, relay final there, wasn't it, with the Welsh? Yeah, yeah, really epic final. Still the best yeah, race I, I, I think I've been involved with. Yeah, I happened to be there that evening watching it as a spectator, and I do remember it being, uh, I thought the Welsh got it from my vantage point, but it turns out you just just hung on, didn't you guys? It turns out we just hung on, yeah. My father-in-law still doesn't think that we won, and thinks we should have got DQ'd in the heats for an athlete stepping on the line. Um, However, he is a Scotsman. That's a Scotsman, yeah. yeah. Um, So... That was an, an interesting one. So in the heats, I'd been put on to run first leg. So I made the semi-final individual. I'd run okay. It wasn't amazing. But mm. being put on to run uh, first leg in the in the heats. And I said to the team coach, uh, Clarence Callender, I was like, look, Clarence, I've run quite a few out the blocks now. Like, in order to be fresh for the final, can I be put on a rolling leg just to break that that cycle, that monotony, so I can be fresher coming into the final? No problem running the first leg in the final. I know it's my my sort of designated leg these days. Um could we have a look at that? And so he said, let me have a think about it. So he went and thought about it. And he come back. He says, yeah, I think we'll do that. We'll put you on third leg. 
put Mark Hilton off first leg. He's fresh coming in. He hasn't run the individual. So we'll do that and then put you in for the for the final. So right, great. Finally, I was in that position where I was one of the first picks and I wasn't having to run for my place in the final. It was probably the first time that, that that's happened. Um, and then in that, really, I was on the same leg as Jamie Balsh. Now, obviously, Jamie was well known for absolutely tanking it down the back straight. And so I get the baton about five metres behind Jamie. Jimmy wasn't in great form at the time, but still. Um, and we're coming to the back straight, and I do a Jimmy Balsh to Jimmy Balsh. So really go for it down the back straight. The crowd, I could feel the crowd just absolutely going berserk. I've got it on video, but you can't you can't any, get anywhere near the volume that I was actually feeling. And I go past him and I get the 200. And again, like that that race previous, I just I was like, I'm flat out here. Like I've got nothing more to give. Just keep keep going, keep going. He came back at me and before I passed the baton on for fourth. But we qualified. Ah, sorry, my voice is gone. Qualified easy enough uh, for the final, and uh, and then switched to first leg for the final. Now on that night, there'd been so many English wins, and we were absolutely determined. Like anything less than gold, we just couldn't see not winning it. Like so adamant, not in any sort of arrogant way, but it was like we wouldn't settle for anything less than gold. And the lads on the team were probably my, my best mates on, on the team. So with, with Sean, Chris and, and Daniel. And we had a simple tactic that we talked about beforehand. You don't often get this where people sit and talk tactically together as, as a team. And each of us had maybe been in heats and not run the finals or missed out on stuff. And it was like, this this was our, our time, our moment. And so what my aim was, was to put my mate Sean on second leg in the best position possible. That's all my aim was, because I couldn't affect legs three and four. It was only leg two that I could could affect. And Sean's aim was to put his roommate, Chris, in his best position as possible. Chris's aim was just to put Daniel in the best position as possible for him to, to try and strike. And so we just ran for each other or ran for the next athlete to, to try and do that. And then... So close on the line, Daniel Keynes finished. We go over to him. He's like, I don't know if I've won. I'm not sure if I've won. And we were like, now we don't know either. Um, what do we do? And so we stood about 30, 40 metres into the first bend. And the Welsh are off celebrating. They're doing cartwheels down the track. Matt Elias is celebrating with his pink hair, thinking he's, he's ran um, Daniel Keynes down. He'd run a fabulous leg. Um, and so they're all, all in celebration. We were like... Right, we don't want to be on question of sport. What happened next? The English team celebrated <laughs> and they hadn't won. We didn't want to look like that. So we stood there all together, arm in arm, and I had the big scoreboard up. And because it was so close, it was taking a little while to come out. And so it was a black scoreboard. And after a couple of minutes, everyone's standing waiting. Everyone's literally just looking at the scoreboard. And obviously many English people in the crowd. And then the result just came up, just flashed up England and the whole place just erupted. <laughs> Um, and so we go off on a lap of honour. Um, you know, it'd always been a dream to win in an England vest. I always tended to run well in an, in an England vest for, for whatever reason. Um, England had funded me that year. I hadn't had any um, UK Athletics funding because I hadn't run so good the year beforehand. And it was that was my primary aim for, for the year. And also the English anthem being at that time, it was Land of Hope and Glory, which I really feel is great as a national anthem. Um, mm-hmm. God Save the Queen, it's more about a person. I uh, felt Land of Hope and Glory is more about the country. And so that anthem was 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 great. Um, and I'm just stood on the podium. I've got video of stood on the podium, just looking around, like trying to take it all in. Um, you know, everything you've worked for coming at that moment and you're thinking, I, I, I want to absorb as much of this moment as possible because it's rare and you work so hard for it and get it so infrequently. But it is the thing that drives you. 
uh, that feeling on there is you, you can't replicate it in any other way the smaller medals get some of that and the slightly bigger medals get a bit more of that but stood on the podium at a, an actual championships and knowing that that is playing for for you and what you've done with your with your teammates was great um, and then to see on the video of Matt Elias really celebrating one moment and then the camera goes back to him when the result had come up in tears the next. That was, that was great as well. <laughs> Good stuff. And I guess what made that extra special as well, that's where you met your future, your wife-to-be, wasn't it, the Commonwealth Games? Yeah. So Susan, as, as she was then, Susan Burnside, sprinter for yeah. Scotland, um, had made made the Commonwealths by running in the 4 by 4 She had missed the individual qualifying time. There was no 4 by one for Scotland for the women. And so... Um, there was one space left in the women's 4x4 for Scotland. And at 6.25 on a Wednesday night at Grangemouth, they had this race off for whoever was going to win it. That person was going to make it to, to the Commonwealth Games. So local TV, Scottish TV, went across to, to that <laughs> during the news. Where we've got this race off for Commonwealth Games. And Susan had, had trained for this for about a month beforehand, managed to win this race, and she gets to Commonwealth Games. If that hadn't happened, not sure where it would be now. Um, so I met at the Commonwealth Games. My roommate, Graham Beasley, um, had helped me concoct some good text messages to, to, to send across when I knew she was interested um, and managed to meet up there. And so we met pretty much the end of July, beginning of August. By the November, we decided to get married. Um, and then it was the following September that we actually got married. We would have done it even earlier if, if um, sort of athletics seasons and stuff had allowed. But most athletes get married in September when they have their off season. So yeah, it was all pretty quick, and our anniversary is 20 years. 20 years this year. Is it? Oh my word! Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, that's, that's 20 crazy. Years, yeah. So yeah. she held the Scottish record for 18 years for uh, 60 meters indoors. Um, yeah. Has been to several championships, worlds, Commonwealths, uh, European under 23s, world indoors. Um, so yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what genes our kids may well have got passed over. Um, but if they get her calves and my leg length. Could be a winner. Yeah. If they get her leg length and my calves, then uh, they're going to struggle. They're in with a good shout. They're in with a good shout. I, I'm actually, I didn't think you'd remember that, but I remember the, uh, you, you mentioned it was on local TV. Uh, I actually arranged that. Did you? It was me that arranged that, yeah. The, I mean, I didn't, yeah. re- I didn't arrange the, uh, the race off itself but um when i got when, they were doing the, when, they, when i got when they were doing this this race off i uh i thought it would make great tv and it did it broke into the local news <laughs> it was yeah, live i mean it was one of those i'd, lo- I'd love to see a record i'd love to see a recording of that again actually yeah. um, we may yeah. see, we may have it somewhere um i digitized a lot of my races during lockdown uh, and put them right, on youtube okay, okay. and um it was taking dvds and stuff from susan's parents and stuff as well because they had so much recorded but yeah it was great to see it like flicking across nice. to, to to that to actually make, yeah. make an event of it you know yeah, good, good stuff. Good. So back to you then. So um, you got also went to the Europeans that year, and it was, that was a success for you as well. Yeah. So eleven days later, um, ran the Europeans again. I hadn't been picked for the individual. Um, I'd finished third at the trials, um, and I can't remember exactly why I wasn't picked for the individual. Um, but again, stuck on on first leg, ran a decent heat, and then against uh, the German Ingo Schultz in the final, uh, who I'm six foot one and a little bit, and he made me look very small. I ran a few, a few first legs against him, and it was one of those situations where the Germans tried to front load the, their race. Um, Michael Johnson uh, gave really good commentary on it at the time, and he was saying how well I'd run on first leg and um, because you're you're away what you're not watching it on the BBC 
So a pal of mine had texted me exactly this quote from what Michael Johnson said about how well I ran, which coming from him was was fantastic. Mm. And he is discussing um, on the on the TV about the relay and about right. I don't think the GB team have cho- chosen the right order here. And I'm like, all oh, right. And uh, he says, but I was kept Jared Deacon on the first leg. He ran a really good first leg. And he's talking about Matt Elias maybe running the last leg instead. But you're saying about Ingo Schultz not able to get the Germans as far ahead as they wanted to be because I ran such a good leg and put them in a, in a good position, um, put GB in a good position so that we could break in the back straight and actually be competitive from the from the beginning instead of chasing it. So I, I didn't hold him off in terms of he's definitely ran faster than me, but they didn't get the lead that they, they were planning to get. And so, yeah, got on the podium with that. It wasn't a fantastic time, but it was the fifth time in a row that GB had won that gold medal. And so that set a record for the number of times that that's been right. won. And it's only been won, I think, once or twice since, even though there's a lot more Europeans now because there's it's once every two years. But it's only been won a couple of times since then. So we were sort of the end of that that more golden era of, of those wins. Great, great. OK, yeah, good. So a, a good year for you then, a good year. Yeah, so I finished off the year with my what is still my all-time PB. Uh, ran loads of sub 46s, including a lot of sub 46 first legs. Ranked second in GB on times and seventh, seventh in Europe on times. So it was clearly by far my, my best year. Uh, and I managed to win performance of the, uh, the Northeast Sports Awards as well, which is great for, for doing the, the double with that. So all, right. all the better. Nice, nice. So you went to the World Indoors the next year. Uh, but I guess the main thing is, is trying to get to Athens, wasn't it? The, the year after, really. The next yeah. Olympics. And you just fell short that time, didn't you? What yeah. So. World indoors, I was really in really good shape going towards world indoors, ran ran really like there, ran well. I wasn't known for indoors, it wasn't my my best uh, events, but I ran a rolling leg there. Uh, that was more suited to how I ran rather than the first leg, because the first leg you've got to blitz that and go to the break on the indoors. It's a totally different first leg to, to outdoors. But a week after the world indoors, um, my dad suddenly passed away, and that season I just didn't run great. What it seems like stress comes out in me like physically and so I dropped a load of body weight my performances were yo-yoing quite a bit I could still run pretty good on occasion but I just couldn't seem to sustain it so I managed to to run scrapingly well enough to make uh, world championships in in Paris didn't get a run there but I was part part of the team but it wasn't until well after that when we sort of tried to do a review and traced back and went well at which point in time did things start to drop off yeah um, I'd went away warm at the training a few weeks after he, he'd passed away and that's where things started to get a bit shaky I'd come back I was lifting in the gym and Jonathan Edwards was in the gym at the same time and he's like you're lifting like an old man like like what's up he says you lost a load of weight you and my back was aching and I just everything was flat but when we traced it back that was the moment mm. um it was similar when my brother was in hospital getting his cancer treatment. I had a, a skin condition at that time, which got all sorts of tests for, and they couldn't find anything sort of wrong to measure from anything that was that was wrong. All the skin on my hands and my feet thickened up and started to peel off. I had to sleep with uh, gloves with uh, like moisturiser in so I could actually move my hands the next day and couldn't identify anything other than a point in time when he had gone into hospital for stuff. So mm. a little bit strange. So 2003 was like, OK, um but could have been so much better i was in really really good shape coming into march 2003 um and running quick on the, those indoors without even trying to, to run quick hadn't peaked for it or anything so then going into 2004 put a lot into that uh, didn't work for that year um first year of being married and both me and susan trying to aim to to make athens 
Um, in the end, it was it was not to be by probably a combination of three factors. Number one, well, I should have run faster. Um, mm. There's a guy called Malachi Davis who decided to be British at that point. An American guy was one of the first sort of um, at the time labelled plastic Americans who came mm. across. So he had already run 45s, was running well that year. Then I'd made the final um, at the British Champs in, in Manchester, a track that I never particularly ran well on. And didn't place particularly high, but Jamie Balsh and Matt Elias had only made the B final. I don't think Jamie Balsh turned up for it, and Matt Elias didn't run great in it. So it was either a week or two weeks later, there was a race at Loughborough. And uh, it wasn't billed as any sort of race-off or anything like that. There was no sort of pressure on the race as such. Um, but Matt Elias was in that race, uh, as was Malachi Davis again as well. Um, but I knew it was sort of on the line in that race. And I spoke to Lloyd Cowan. And Lloyd was really good in mm. terms of men- mentally getting people ready for stuff. And I just went up to him. And I'd known him, obviously, for, for years before and stuff. Never coached me or anything like that. But I just knew of his, his motivational stuff. And I just went, Lloyd, I need a chat before this run. I need you to get, help me get my head in gear for this, this run. And he just walked around the track with me for 20 minutes and just filled my head with, I don't know what. I can't think back to what he was even saying, but I was mm. ready for that run. And... Uh, come storming down the home straight and diving at the line and by a hundredth of a second didn't win it. Uh, I was going so fast through the finish line and launched myself so much at the finish line at Loughborough, there's the metal barrier um, ahead from the uh, the finish line. I actually stopped myself on that barrier, which is a good 20 metres past the finish line. Normally after a four, you, you don't get very far past the line before you collapse. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I lost that by a hundredth of a second. And so they picked Matt Elias to go based on that. Malachi Davis um, and so I missed the Olympics essentially by a hundredth of a second and some politics because that wasn't meant to be um, some sort of race off. I wasn't a favourite with the selectors uh, especially uh, Graham Knight um, didn't like to pick me for stuff and subsequently find out that Matt Elias is getting sort of coached by him and you know I definitely felt that I was out of favour on, on, on many things with that. Uh, Susan missed going by two hundredths of a second, so the GB women's four by one team had to be in the top sixteen in the world based on the average of two times of the year, and they're seventeenth by two hundredths of a second. So March two thousand, uh, not March, yeah, August two thousand four, yeah, it was not a fun time in in our, in our household missing the Olympics by just that much. No, no, okay, and it sort of wound down from there. Then I mean, did you did you? Did you want to retire after that or did you did you still see, I mean, could you push on to another, another attempt at the Olympics or was it getting on a bit then? Age-wise, was getting on a little bit. Physically, I was I was okay. Um, mm-hmm. Went into 2005 and the aim for 2005 was to try and, co- try and qualify for the Commonwealth in 2006 because that was in the March 2006. So it was performances mm-hmm. from 2005. I'd started working for the English Institute of Sport by then as a strength and conditioning coach. So I was a bit more career. I was married. Um, so I was a bit more sort of financial normality um having to, to, to take place uh i was never really funded to to a huge degree and sponsorship wise and stuff was was okay but wasn't going to be sustainable for, for huge amounts of time and so it was like right i i'll run 2005 if i qualify for melbourne then i'll retire after that if i don't then i'll retire at the end of the season and i was going to be 30 in in that october which is still relatively young especially if you're healthy i'd never had any operations in in my career never had significant sort of injury that i'd missed a season for i was pretty much mr consistent i'd love to have just done that one run that little bit faster i was too consistent for mm-hmm. my own good 
Um, and so I got the end of the 2005 season, ran my last race at the Scottish Champs, which was incidentally Ian Mackey's last race. He retired in the semi-final, I retired in the final, knowing that I wasn't making Melbourne and just calling it a day there. Uh, but I remember speaking to my younger brother and I was like, yeah, I know I've finished, but I feel like like I've not. I needed something to shut the door on it. And I just had this, mm. this, this conversation with him of just how I felt that I needed to somehow finish properly um in my own mind is to go yeah i've done that i've completed so it was my 30th birthday and i thought we were going to my sister's house for um, an organization for like a little bit of an organization meeting for um, our christmas get-together because our christmas get-togethers the size of my family as i've described were, were pretty big <laughs> so it took a bit of organization um and so i thought we're going there for that and so got my sister's house and my younger brother john said um yeah, obviously, we, we build this as um, getting together for, for organising Christmas, but this is what we're actually here for. And he puts this video on that you'd you'd take my, my videos and had this montage video made. And it was just uh, oh, it's just a very emotional uh, moment for that. He'd emailed around quite a few of my competitors, quite a few of the, the people who'd been involved in like selections, a guy called Alan Lindop, who ran the England stuff various of the people that I trained with and he got like cards and messages for them and he, he sort of read these out and went through it and uh, watching the video from the career and stuff and it was like yeah this is this is it on my 30th birthday that's 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 drawn that line um I've run a couple of races since but nothing that I've trained for and been serious about but I knew it was it, it was pretty much over for the final two 400s that I'd run so I'd run one on the Wednesday um at Gateshead and I'd run a uh, 47.7 but it felt like a low 46 um and i finished the run thinking i've done quite well there that's that, that was a decent run and it was 47.78 and my gauge was just off and i ran another one a few days later and it was the exact same time again but again it felt like what a 46 was feeling like a low 46 and i knew it wasn't 45 shape it's in 46 type shape so i thought and um and yeah my gauge had just my dial was just out and I thought, no, this, this is it. Like this is, this is finished now. Um, but then that that thing that John had put together, uh, that felt like, yeah, that's drawn the line for me now. And I can put my my competitive energy um, into something else. And that was into my my career and and, and family and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you you have got one world record, haven't you? You've got one I do. record. Yeah, uh, tell us about I that think, world record. I think I still hold it. I've got a Guinness certificate for it, so it was definitely a world record at okay. the time. Um, so that's the 100 metres as a pantomime horse. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, a jo- uh, with somebody else, I assume, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had to be two of us. I was the back end. Um, <laughs> so the guy called Paul Donaghy, who'd, who'd looked through the, the record books and found a record that he thought he might be able to break, got, got me involved, a little bit of a name in the northeast of England, um, raised a decent amount of money for charity. Uh, but little did I realise when... When you sign up to this, you go, OK, yeah, that, that'd be fine. You know, just run down the track with the thing on. Lots of boxes to get ticked to make it official and all that sort of stuff. But then training for it, we had to train in the outfit and, and run in the position that we're going to try and run in. Yeah. So you end up down at a club night with all the kids and other athletes training with two of you down there doing repetitions in a pint of my horse outfit. Um, <laughs> so, so people are like, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm going to try and break the world record as a hundred metres pint of my horse. All right, OK. So yeah, that was the daftest bit of it having to having to do that. What but is the good, time? Good what was the time you got? Uh, I think it was thirteen twenty nine, which clearly if yeah, two decent not... 
<laughs> but if two decent sprinters got together and decided they were daft enough to do it, they could they could clearly could clearly beat that and, and set a world record. But great fun, great fun at the time. Good, good, good. And you got into coaching, haven't you? Um, was was that always a thing you thought you'd do after when, once you finished competing? No, definitely not, because it looked like too much hard work. Um, I knew how much coaches were putting in into it, and um, and I said, right, if I'm gonna if I am gonna coach, I want a group of like young lads uh, work hard together and stuff and in my career I ended up coaching a lot more females than, than males um up until the point of working with the rugby with snc stuff even from a strength and conditioning perspective was more females than males um and and started off coaching pretty much off the the tail end of my career so it got to a point that uh, i started doing my coaching qualifications and I said to the group of athletes that were training with me, right, this is the turning season now. I'm not the athlete that you train with. I'm now your coach. And I'll do some training with you because I still want to stay fit. But I'm, I'm now actually your coach. And they were all cool with that. Um, and so I started off with, with with a group in the Northeast, attracted a few decent athletes. So I had uh, Victoria Barr, who made the World Championships in 2007, Olympics 2008, to sort of come back from running really good as an 18 year old hadn't done much until she was 25 resurrected her career and and, and got to a couple of games um Niall Flannery was in that group as well he was good for hurdler uh, who went on to run 48 nine make, make a few championships um after he'd moved on uh, from me uh, Richard Kilty between the ages of 17 and 21 coached oh, him yeah. um mm-hmm. so worked with him um well obviously really closely uh, for those few years still in touch with him um, and then from there, I was working for uh, the EIS as an SNC coach. Uh, the funding for for that job That's the English, came English to an end. Of sport, yeah. Yeah. English so based out, sport, of, yeah. Yeah. based out of Gateshead Stadium, so the gym that's at the indoor track at Gateshead, we sort of physically put that together, and uh, ended up getting a job with England, uh, sorry, UK Athletics in Loughborough um, as a sprints and hurdles coach. So that was looking after the. Uh, junior relays, sprints and relays. I uh, looked after the junior men, so 4x1, 4x4, and did that for a few years before going back to the English Institute as an SNC coach. So I've had a bit of time working under Charles Van Comney and the sort of Canadian contingent, Kevin Tyler, Derek Evely, that were in at that time, sort of 2009 to, to 2012, uh, which was a really good time and really enjoyed it. Um, glad I didn't stay in that job because the way that they structured it at the, from there changed and my job wouldn't have existed in the same format going forward but working with athletes like um, Danny Talbot um, Adam Jamili came through our relay program he was actually 10th on the list he'd run at English schools 10th on the list got his phone number stuff rang him up interested in coming along to squads yeah yeah what else do you do because I see you're not listed as a club or anything yeah well I play football but um, I'm quite keen to do a bit more with the athletics and I said well if we're funding you to come up and stay over and, and do the training, we need you to to commit to to this programme. Are you going to sort of see it through? Yeah, yeah, I'll see it through. So he turns up in this first training session and Kevin Tyler is watching. He's like, who's this kid you brought in, Jared? It's like, well, he's 10th he's on the list. We're inviting top 10. Um, he's a bit more of a footballer. He's not done much track work. So, you know, he, he deserves to be here. We'll give him a chance in terms of his skills, which were awful at the time. But every session he came along to, he was getting better and better and faster and faster. And the following year, he went on to run, I think it was a 10-2 windy. I think he got a silver medal at the European Juniors in the in the 100 against, uh, what's the French guy? Um, 100 meter runner. Can't remember his Le- name off the top Le- of my head. Lemaitre? Lemaitre? No, just before Le- Lemaitre. Um, oh. The other guy who's run 9-9. Um, oh. You know who I mean. I can't I do know what you mean, actually. Yeah. Is he called Freddie something? Or Fre- uh, no. Ah, 
showing, showing our age here, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he got a silver medal in the four by one as well. Um, so that was a really like nice success story of that relay program, bringing someone in, upskilling them to the point where they could run at international championships and, and, and win medals. And those lads, it's been really good. Still not like majorly in touch with them, but if I see them at meetings and stuff, we always have, have a good chat. Because yeah. the way that I was handled a lot in in my relay career. As I was working with these young ones, I wanted to give them a positive first experience. I wanted to do the things that I wish people had in a managerial position had done with me um, in terms of how you, you deal with them, how you tell them that they're not included in that relay final or they're here as a, a you know as a squad member and this is how it's going to run mm. and this is how it works and be upfront with them and honest with them from the beginning as to how things would work. And then since not working as a full time, uh, uh, sprints coach getting back into the snc type work but then mm. still running my group alongside that at loughborough until i moved up to scotland where i re-established a small group so over the past few years uh coached uh, jack laurie who's scottish 400 meter hurdles record holder now um quite close to me in the commonwealth last year but the qualifying time was half a second faster than scottish record so it didn't quite get there but i guess the athlete that i most well known for coaching wise was emily diamond um, yeah so transferring Emily from being a, a world junior 200 meter finalist to a 400 meter runner. So with Vicky Barr, it was a similar process that Vicky was more of a 200 meter runner. And when I met her and was started coaching her within a few sessions, I said to her, you realize you're a 400 meter runner, don't you? She says, well, how do you know? I've never, never run one before. She says, well, just the traits that you've got. I, I think you'll be a, a good 200 meter runner, but you'll be a very good 400 meter runner. And so I worked with her for a few years, but I never felt that I finished the process with her. Uh, she went off and moved to another coach you know, after Beijing, bright lights and big city of, of London and coaches getting into her ear when she was away at championships that I wasn't at. Uh, she moved away down there and didn't really improve that much. So when Emily came along and was running the 200s and I could start to see some of her traits being more towards 400, I had the same conversation with her, I think you're more of a 400 meter runner. But you're going to have to learn the event. You're going to have to love the event. We'll transition you over a period of time to, to get there. And so she bought into that and did that. And I felt like I was a lot more able to finish that process off with her. And she made 2012 Olympics, didn't get a run, was part of the relay. Made 2016, got a medal there. And has also made 2020 as well. So three Olympics as a, as a 400 meter runner and was the standout 400 meter runner um, in Rio as well, uh, especially on the, on the relay legs. Um, She'd had about a food poisoning in the in the 24 hours before she was running the heats of an individual. Uh, there's a longer story of that, and I'll go into that. But um, you know, she she really battled physically, mentally to to do what she did at that, at those games, and to come away with a medal was unbelievable. And it wasn't until a few months after, because she was living in Bath and I'm in in Scotland, she would come up and stay for a good few days every every few weeks, like once a month, and she would train up here with me. And it was a few months after the Olympics that I got to see her physically and she bought the medal. And I remember just sitting with the medal, just staring at this because as an athlete, it's something I dreamt of of, of winning um, and getting somewhere near to. But now being part of that as a coach, working working with her and she had trained every session, every rep of every session that year on her own. Um, she had done everything on her own down in Bath. She had a bit of support from other coaches. Um, James Hilliard helped out and oversee some sessions, videos and stuff. But she'd worked really hard on her own to do that. And I just sat with this medal and just stayed at it for a good 20 minutes, half an hour, just absorbing what, what this meant for, for her and, and, and for me. And me being part of that yeah. was fantastic. Quite a bit of you in that medal. Yeah, well done. Yeah, well done. Yeah. You always struck me as, I guess, I guess 
you always struck me as a, a a good technician of your event you have you know looking at you as a runner you had excellent technique just from a layperson's point of view is that has that helped you as a coach yeah i think so and, and my brother you run, you run pro- i guess you run properly is what i'm trying <laughs> to get the point i'm trying to get at i'd like yeah. to think properly rather than being too rigid and stuff but yeah i worked on that technique a lot because as a young as a young athlete not even a young athlete as a young person in my family i wasn't i was picked last for football at you know playing down in the park and stuff or beach sports day or whatever it might be I, I was never thought of being the, the sporty one in the family terrible with football playing a bit of rugby and was okay at that um but I was never thought of being the, the, the really sporty one and so when I started off and I knew that my technique wasn't great and we drilled that in a lot and especially with Terry Lomax as well when I came to that point trying to eke out those last few hundredths of a second in terms of efficiency and so looking at technique in depth with with them as coaches taking that on with the athletes that, that i've worked with and just trying to understand a bit more around the biomechanics and that skill acquisition sort of side of things as well to try and make that that work um yeah big believer in in, in getting technique good and and it being a big part of what of everything that that you do whether it's in the gym which i'm coaching a lot now with the rugby players i work with um or whether it's whether it's on the track definitely was a conscious effort and part of, of what we did as a coach and athlete team. You work, you said you're working with rugby now, you're working with Scottish rugby, aren't you? What's, what's the, how do they, how do their running abilities compare to athletes? <laughs> no I mean, do, do you mostly. see some real shocking technique there going on, do you? Or? <laughs> yeah, there's some pretty bad techniques, but it's, it's mainly driven by either some baggers that I've got from an injury perspective. I'm working with a lot of um, mid teenagers, so 16, 17, 18 year olds who gone through their growth spurts and they've been doing weights which aren't necessarily always appropriate for them um or certain activities in, within the race room i would say and it's trying to iron them out and trying to get them a, a good holistic well-rounded athlete now i've had a few proper athletes in there so a guy called ben robbins a few years ago was a good 400 meter runner from scotland 48 two at the age of 16 uh 22 two i think he'd run at the same age and everyone was like oh, i wish i could run like ben and you're like well if you hadn't just played rugby all the time you'd actually done some other sports then that that might be the case that you could have a little bit of that we've got a guy in in at the minute who's a 16 year old who's on 1099 who's more interested in doing the, the rugby um and so using that sort of pace is great but it's much harder teaching the rugby players because we've got to do a lot more basic skill underpinning skill development and movement skill before we can get to that more more specific work on the on the running stuff we we'll do some of the running stuff obviously as well as part of that um but it is only part of their game but definitely from a movement skill perspective it's it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And also just working with modern athletes and younger athletes. And I guess it, it wasn't it wasn't so much the case when you were competing, but social media is a big factor now. Um, do you ever get, have you ever been in a situation or, or suspected where there's an athlete who, or a rugby player who is training to look good for an Instagram post as opposed to getting their body right to be a rugby player or an athlete? Is there, is I, there an element of that, that goes on at all? Um, I think there is. There's not. I haven't really come across that in rugby, to be honest, um, mm. with the lads that I've worked with. There may be some of that somewhere within there. I, I do constantly give the message that we're trying to develop athletes, not not bodybuilders. It's not about putting mass on at this age. It's about sorting out their techniques and setting them up for future performance. That will come with years of training. It's not what we need to do with a 16-year-old is just lump muscle mass on. But I did have a track athlete, and this was probably a bit before social media, but I had a track athlete who came to me and said, Jared, I want to get really cut. I want to, I want to look like, you know, like, um, like the sprinters are like really cut and I says yeah but 
their cut as a consequence of their training. They're not doing it to try to look like that. It's it's a byproduct. But no, he went that way and he, he tried to do that and his performance really wasn't very good at all um, because he was trying to to lift weights that were not athletic. It wasn't going to help him be an athlete. Uh, so he could look good before he started the race, but then <laughs> not so good once the race started. <laughs> yeah. That's it, that's it. Uh, and younger still, you've got, you've got your, your kids taking part now, haven't they? You've got kids taking part in athletics. How's that going? Yeah, so that's interesting. I don't coach them as yet. I probably will do at some point. Um, both girls do a lot of swimming and a lot of athletics. Uh, my oldest girl, Abby, who's just turned 15, both, they all run sprints um, for, for Petrivi, doing, doing quite good. They just enjoy it. Um, you know, the two questions we ask them as parents when they when they finish is, did you enjoy that? And, you know, did you try your best? And as long as they did those two things, and, and that's fine. And Esme, my middle daughter, who's just turned 13, um, She's running quite quick. She's running 27s for, for the 200s. She's finished fourth last year at the under 13 championships over 200. And she knows no other way to run other than just flat out from the start. She just goes for it. She's a real battler. Um, but she's quite short. Abby's quite tall for her age, but Esme's quite short. Um, and it's it, it's very interesting contrast. They're totally different as athletes in, in terms of their build and levels of uh, physical maturity. Abby's maybe a little bit early and Esme's maybe a little bit late. And it'll just be interesting to see how they develop over the next few years and what they want to do. And I've got Charlie, who's just turned 10, uh, who's just a wild you know, firecracker. It's just <laughs> we're not quite sure which direction he'll go in. But uh, at the minute, it's all over the place when he runs. But he's, he is quite fast. Either he's quite fast or I'm getting much slower because when I have to chase after him for something, I, I have to actually go something to get him. Absolutely. Yeah, good, good. And do you still run at all? You know, I try to. I still have a thought. I still buy the odd pair of spikes and try and do something. But I find that once you're over the age of 40, there's a pain in your body. And that pain just moves to different places. It maybe splits off sometimes. You get two pains, um, which are slightly less, but then goes back to one. But I think having run and like I trained for 15 years, like and squeezed every bit out of my body that, that I could. And with that, even though I didn't get significantly injured in that time, th- there are aches and pains. There is scar from that. So my lower back isn't great. Um, my Achilles plays up uh, when I try to run. So I, I exercise regular, try to get five or six days a week in, lift a couple of times, do some circuits. Um, I use the fourth road bridge steps quite a bit. Uh, so it's just generally trying to stay stay fit. Um, but I would love to get the spikes on me and Ian Mackey at the track talk about this um quite regularly you know he still does a bit of training and stuff as well but not to compete just just for fitness mm-hmm. uh whether i'd like to get in and do some veteran races maybe when i turn 50 uh, i'd like to bench press 100 kilos power clean 100 kilos and maybe try a 400 when, I, when i'm 50 but only if i can get fit enough that i don't pull something in a race and mm-hmm. you know hurt myself badly in that respect um so yeah i still have a thoughts of it that athlete inside you never never truly dies never really truly goes away you, you still want that 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 feeling uh whether i'll ever get that again or not i don't know it's good well thanks jared it's been great great catching up with you um really enjoyed your, your story um one final thing to say to you um jimmy vico jimmy vico that was it <laughs> that's the guy that's the yeah. guy isn't it <laughs> yeah jimmy vico he won the european juniors that year uh, against adam yeah the old the old uh, old memory's not uh, not gone entirely yet <laughs> Good. Thanks, Jared. Really appreciate it. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. 
Thanks for listening to Athletics Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.